0: Welcome, movie lovers, back for another Anatomy of Movie. Stay tuned as we travel back to the 80s for all the Easter eggs that you love, the nostalgia of that time period as we dissect Ready Player One. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie.
0: That's right ladies and gentlemen Steven Spielberg releases another movie Just a few short months following the post And it's Ready Player One Allow me to introduce Versus Serafini Hello
2: everyone
0: Dimitri Panos Hey
2: movie fans, hey folks
0: Hello, and I'm Phil Tech. We've got a lot to dissect So many easter eggs So much (laughs) stuff But before we do, allow me some administrative things. First off, at this point, we assume you've seen the movie, so therefore, it is spoiler-filled in terms of our discussion. We will be talking about the development of everything. We'll be talking about the story, primarily. But then we'll also get into the making of, and especially with something like this, the production, the visual effects, the music, and all that fun stuff. Also, if you'd like to follow along in our description box there's a PDF link you get to click that and and it has all of our research at least what we got and we're (laughs) able to pull so you get to follow along did I miss anything? I think not you said spoiler I did say spoiler I did say spoiler speaking of the post you can always also check that out we we covered the post (laughs) we did another Steven Spielberg movie anyway as we usually do let's start with overall thoughts for Ready Player One Ladies first.
2: I thought this was a really fun movie. Uh, I'm glad I got a lot of the references because I mean, I didn't grow up in the 80s, but um, I do like <coughs> a lot of the, the 80s references and movie references that they dropped here and there. Visually, it was cool. I love the color palette, of, you know, the whole neon lights and, and everything that we saw at the Oasis. And there was fun action in between. So yeah, I think this movie had a lot of good balances of a lot of fun elements.
1: All right, Dimitri. Yeah, I mean, I loved, 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 loved this movie. I mean, it brought me great joy. From the get-go, I was just giddy. And this is the kind of movie that I grew up with, in a sense, that made me fall in love with movies. And as an adult, this is why a movie that I love. Uh, It was just so much fun. And I had read the book um, a few years back. Uh, and what what I think is one of the excellent things about this movie and the book is that they're very different, um, very b- different aspects, clues, plot points. But it proves that book and movie can exist, can coexist in the same universe, like in our world. You can have the book, read it and really enjoy it for what it is and and, and how it presents its Easter eggs or its nostalgia let 's say, and then going into the movie, how it presents um, Easter eggs that that bring up this amazing feeling of nostalgia. I think that Spielberg well he was the perfect choice to to, to get this movie done. And even to his words, he just wanted to make a movie that would make audiences feel good. And I really haven't felt this good when I left the movie. I mean, I had adrenaline. I had a big smile on my face. And I can honestly say, I don't think there's going to be a lot of movies. I Maybe mean, we're, we're in April. We've got a lot of movie watching between now and December. And I'm sure many of them are going to be very good movies and excellent movies. But I don't think any are going to leave me with the feeling that I had... After watching this movie, so right now this is my number one fun great movie of the year, and I don't see it being usurped anytime soon. Like uh-huh. for just the way that it made me feel.
0: Okay, so. I'm I'm torn simply because I didn't en- I did enjoy the ride, and and the- I did enjoy the ride. However. The fact of the matter was that when I, the, the more I started dissecting this, here's a reference for you. It's like Jenga. It falls apart pretty fast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it does. That's it, not a good reference.
0: Why is it not a <laughs> well, good I reference? Get, well, because when reference. things
2: break apart, that you lose the game.
0: Well, that's the point. That's the point. The movie itself, I did it, I left, I enjoyed it. And as I got to thinking about it, I'm very nervous as we're going to dive deeper into this. It has so many plot holes and so many things that I'm just left scratching my head. And the irony is we didn't need it. Let me just preview some of it. Sure. You killed my mother's sister. Like, what? Just We call that a knot. Yeah. We call that a knot. At no point, if you're that emotional over this, would you ever have the capacity to say, you killed my mother's sister. And it's just things like that that irked me. And there's greater plot points. Those are, my, you could say those are very tight nitpicks, but there's there's larger things that I pick out of this that I think aren't nitpicks. And overall, I did enjoy it, and I wanted to enjoy it more so than I ex- actually. Again, I'm torn because the experience was fun. But as a movie, as a story itself, unfortunately, Marissa, like the Jenga pieces, it all falls down.
2: Yeah, I get I want to dive more into it. Maybe the writing that. and the narrative. I mean, it was simplistic.
1: That's why I wouldn't go ahead and call it necessarily a great movie. But from a cinematic experience, right, and for, for, for the visceral emotion that it gave me, that's where it wins. It is it is simplistic, much like many of the movies of the 80s were. They were simplistic in tone, but they would make you feel good. Like the Goonies, which this has a Goonies feel, unlike the book, where it was definitely more singular, but this brings this thought, the high five team together, um, which I really enjoyed, and for that and everything that I saw happening in this movie, brought to life in a way that, um, like the visual effects were just stunning, as to how it all looked on the big screen. Um, but I'm dying to know, I, like again, because I didn't necessarily see as many as you did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always love to, to to hear what it was like. And again, you you killed my mother's sister. Okay, I that's mean fine, again, but that's a nitpick. An, yeah. That's a nitpick. I, I thought I it was that. a beard line. Okay. I, you know, but I didn't even see that he had that fantastic relationship with this woman. It wasn't like in the book. Like in the book, when that character dies, that that was like a big blow. Um, I didn't find it that much. Here. Like it's it stinks that they both. In, well, in that 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 jerk of a guy who is the who is the father in the witch, by the way. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I maybe it was because of his relationship in the movie that he called her that because he didn't feel close enough, maybe to call her. Enough. But yeah, we're yeah, mixing le- words.
0: Well, okay, so let, <laughs> I let's get into plot detail. Let's talk about. I mean, I, I enjoy the overall premise. Uh, however, as far as the real world implications of all this and I just felt a lot of how it all set things up and, and if you really stop and think about it, it doesn't fully add up. Like at the end everyone's fighting in the street and before that it, I it just some of the rules don't quite fully make sense as far as this how this world operates. You know but beforehand like as far as them kicking and so forth like, you actually need to move around, and yet our villain, Nolan, has a chair. So how the hell does he do anything?
2: Hmm.
1: Okay, but, but his chair is actually, it is said in the movie, that that, that is the, one of the, It's it's the only one in existence that does what it's able to do, and he's the one that has it, and he can, like, part of the reason why it is... The way it is, is because it's the new tech. And it's also, for me anyways, the way I looked at it is, instead of being on um, the reverse treadmill kind of thing, and now we're getting into less and less, like, exercise. Now we're just laying down, going into the oasis, instead of actually exerting any physical activity whatsoever. So we're being more and more dumbed down not unlike today with people in their cell phones walking in the walking in the streets or driving looking at their cell phones not eyes up what's the difference and so and that machine that that egg that mm-hmm. he was comfortably being able to lay in then that takes away more physical activity and the whole thing was we got to break out and, and enjoy reality a little bit more
0: Marissa, you, so you look off. like you have a lot to say, so I'll let you...
2: Uh, well, like, I first of all, I'll preface this whole show that I'm not the biggest gamer. I, I think the most extensive gaming I've done is PlayStation 2, and that was like 10, no 15 years ago. Not no i No, I read no. books. I'm a nerd. Uh, so, like, I don't know much about the gaming culture, <laughs> just letting you know that. Uh, for, the, for the pod, I think the whole, they did a good job of explaining the whole idea that people are stuck in the Oasis because they live a better life, they're better people, or, like, they like themselves more in the Oasis than they do out in the real world. It's like, when they go into the Oasis, they can't, like, differentiate, uh, like, what's awesome and, and real when they get into that world and compared to the reality, which is basically crap, you know? Yeah. And, like, and I like that they conveyed that message because it's still realistic t- today, and even though this movie is futuristic and it takes place years from now, it's still the universal theme. Is like, we got to get out and enjoy life, you know, because right? we're getting away from what's real.
0: And the irony of that is not lost on me because Wade, all he's ever done up until then has been in the, the, the Oasis. The Oasis. And, okay, I'll just... Start rattling off my nitpicks and then sure, no. <laughs> and before
1: we can. We have the keys. We, we, we here. No, I the, think you have the keys. We're, the keys. We're, 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 collectively, we have the keys. You are Percival and, and, and we're the, and like the we, runners-up. But we're the high to three. High three. <laughs> so, we, you know, uh, yeah, so we get to run. So, this is our oasis.
0: Yes. Yeah. That's a, so, for those who explain it a little bit further, because for people who might be lost, the, wait, what?
1: uh, Oh well, there. um, Yeah, these are uh, well. These are the keys that Percival has to get. If you've seen the movie, read the books, these are a little bit more. uh, uh, These are more more based off of what was in the book or what should be uh, in the book as the as the movie. Uh, There's one the the second key. Um, They're pins. But the second key you'll notice is wrapped in tin foil, and we'll talk about that when we talk about differences of the book and, and the movie, um, because it's a major plot point, which I'm sure we'll get to. But at the back of each key, because they are pins, uh, has the quest or the riddle that need be Aww, yeah need be cool. found because it's on the back of the key. So they're pretty cool. I picked that picked these little ditties up at WonderCon uh, last week. Uh, which is a good show, great show. and uh, yeah, I figured well we've got to bring the keys in because we have go. the keys to the oasis now.
0: Fair enough,
2: they're pretty. They're pretty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's talk, let's talk about the premise as far as it, it, it's this it's a hunt to, to basically solve a series of puzzles from from Halliday. And that's all well and good. I love the premise. It's Willy Wonka in a sense. Yes, it's trying to yeah, get totally. to the end of. That's
2: what I said. Yeah.
1: I mean, well, it's trying Ernest Cline has end. said it yeah. himself.
2: I didn't <laughs> read the
0: book. <laughs> well, you didn't need to. It's, <laughs> yeah. Very, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very
1: Willy Wonka-ish, um, and, and they make no bones about it that you know we, you can get the keys to the castle, the keys to the oasis, and you get to run it because I can't anymore. Um, so, so that premise too—that that's a huge nostalgia presence because I don't think there's anybody in this room can't say they don't know uh, Willy Wonka and, that, and, and the, the factor. the Gene Wilder, right? So, who
2: was originally uh, asked by Steven Spielberg to be a Holiday? Yeah, unfortunately, he turned it down. Yeah.
0: But as far as like the MacGuffin of all of this, or I—I I, I don't know what the right term would be, but it's essentially. Holiday is trying to make some sort of amends, or he he feels regret over his best friend Morrow, and how that came into being, and that was the bow that wraps the, all this up. I didn't have a sense of their friendship, and therefore it just got lost on me like at a certain point, there was too many references, and there they weren't cohesive enough to come together,
2: yeah, you know what I agree with that because I felt there was definitely a disconnect. And but I got mixed messages messages from both of them because when we saw the those video flashbacks or when he goes into the archives and learns about more about their friendship and how they started the business X Y and Z, um, you can tell that like they both had creative minds, but somewhere they had their differences. And then when you saw each of them on their own talking about each other, it was like it didn't seem like they were ever really aligned. Um, in their workflow and their mentality, and but they, it still seemed like they respected each other enough.
1: Well, they were they were, they were Bill Gates and um, Wozniak in Wozniak in in a sense, you know, because what did they do for computers, which gives us the internet? In a sense, that's what they were. I mean, but Steve but, Jobs, but, uh, and Steve Jobs, yeah. Uh, well, it, for me, it was. But there's also the missed opportunity, you know. There was there was love and romance that that Halliday could have had. It was right there, and the, he could have had that, and he didn 't take his chance he was He was afraid in the real world to just give the woman a kiss, and he lost her to his best friend, so there was that kind of loss as well, uh, aside from the ideology right building the oasis he was regretting because that 's where people now that that they 're not living a real life, but it was lo- that love that was lost to me um you know, and I've been on the show before. We've had the conversation about uh, the kiss that Rose put on John uh, uh, Boyer. Like, I'm the romance guy here. I like romance. So I believe that that love loss, too, is a major part. Turn, teaching Wade, take the chance. Take the chance in the real world. Because if it ever escapes you, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And that was a major regret of his that he had.
0: I and it went
1: and, and she went to the his best
0: friend I'm just troubled by it because if he had this usually in, in, in your dying moments you have this realization of like oh crap what does my life come to and then you can you, you just have that flash and perhaps you can fix it perhaps you cannot so for him to create this convoluted game and and essentially like the one thing that he was trying to do was people get people out of the Oasis let's say Well, now he's created this entire thing where people have a a purpose and a life mission to be within the Oasis. To own the
1: Oasis. It's not just to be in the Oasis. It's to run the chocolate factory. It's to run the Oasis in a way that he feels that it will go, much like Charlie, it's going to go to the person who has the, the best heart and the good head to run this company the way that he may have originally intended it to be. And he wants that childlike mentality of a young person who still can have a life, still run this, and that's why I thought it was great when he says, yeah, we'd wait at the end. It's like, yeah, we We shut it down Tuesdays and Thursdays. (laughs) I I like that. That was funny. I think that's what the entire goal was. Not to further entrench people into the game, but for it to go to a winner with kind heart and good sensibility.
0: Well, all I'm saying is, if he had the wherewithal to know that this, I want to cha- I want to make amends with my best friend. I want to gear people towards this. Then you don't spend years behind the scenes creating this elaborate thing. Instead, you make it more of, uh, more known, and more in your face. I don't think that the comparison between Charlie and the Chocolate Factory falls down because, in some sense, it. It's not like Willy Wonka at any point was, had regrets about the chocolate factory. He just needed to pass it on to somebody else. Whereas Holiday is, a, to a large extent, a, a tortured character and is like, okay, there's good aspects to what I did, but there's a lot of bad aspects and I don't know how to cope with that. It, it, but it's
1: teaching those aspects. Don't become me. Is basically the lesson. Don't become, don't don't get so stuck in here, and don't allow other people. Because I think too, w- comparing it to the real life between Jobs, Wozniak, and there was a, there was an ideology that they had that caused them to split apart in the way that a computer should be shouldn't be whatnot. Mm-hmm. Same here. There was there was an ideology, and it's not that they hated each other. It's just. He, he wanted to go a different path. He wanted the oasis to be a more more, more positive, where his best friend was looking from the commercial and the rich, and he was looking for a more commercial aspect of this. So it was just different ideologies. And in the end, there was still a respect um from Simon Pegg's character right now. Forgive me, I forget Murrow. his name. Murrow. Obviously, there was a he still had a great respect and he saw particularly I feel at the end, what this caused, what the the entire thing caused. And maybe his friend might have been right a little bit.
0: I don't know how to state it more properly, but do you guys see the irony of him trying to achieve that by getting so many people ingrained in his way of thinking, in his way of playing, uh, so caught up in the minutia of so many details within the Oasis? I mean, people... Rather than live their own lives, they studied the life of somebody else. You know, we study Steve Jobs, we study Abraham Lincoln, we study so many people and so forth, right? But this became an obsession to the nth degree. But but it's not unlike
1: unlike the obsession of Star Wars or Star Trek fans or certain fans of a genre or certain fans of of a game. It's really not unlike that. You know, it's like Star Wars fans got pissed off at Last Jedi because it wasn't the movie they had written in their minds. And there there is that. And this is what the Oasis built. It built this. this it was above and beyond occultism. It, it just built this world, which was this better place that people wanted to stay in. And that's where
0: that worship came from. I have a counterpoint to that, but Marissa, you had something to say.
2: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I agree how people got so lost up in the oasis because I think one of the the slogans to this movie is like people go to the oasis for what they can be, you know, mm. like they stay for what they can be, and it's the whole idea that they build better lives for themselves in this. Virtual reality world, and I'm glad that when we saw all the high five, when we saw them out of the game, they seemed like good people yeah. who all had a good moral sense, and um, and and like and they liked each other, had good. Um, friendships within each other. They seem sure. like personable people that knew right from wrong. So, like, I liked it when you did take people out of this place to, so you can determine, like, who's actually good and who's actually bad, no matter what world they're in.
1: Right. And you say you're not a gamer, but yeah. Phil, you've played a gamer too. I, right? I've played you've, enough. you've played, like, a Call of Duty or, yeah. you know, so when you, well, but so Marissa, like, a lot of these games too, you build avatars of, you can make the avatar look like whatever you want. Right. And and Mass Effect's a great thing, or even Fallout, things like that. And you this open play gaming kind of thing. So these people are creating their avatars to, to look the way that they kind of would love to see themselves as being perhaps in the real world when they have this sensibility. But the real world at that point in time you know, in the future, wasn't the greatest. I mean, who wants to really live in the stacks? I mean, it wasn't the best place to be. So I understand this whole Avatar thing and how it relates to today. I mean, people will spend uh, hours upon days. People have died because they've spent so many hours playing video games that what, they don't like, nourish themselves. When Pokemon
2: Go went, like people <laughs> crossed boundaries and actually plummeted they to their death, fell off cliffs. It was like, You're, so. I get the dangers of gaming.
1: Yeah, but, but people have died literally in their chairs because their their heart they got a heart attack or they weren't nourishing themselves. So I understand from that aspect. But building that avatar, getting getting more experience points, which is so important, um, you know, in that sort of in that realm. But, so, but
2: like, I get what you say, Phil. Where you know the the whole getting immersed into this world, but like. It's not like Halliday did try to tell us. He didn't tell us as directly as it could have been. Mm -hmm. It was very vague in the Mm -hmm. way that you had to go through like every step to get a key to finally figure out, you know, all these tests you go through. Um, It wasn't as direct as it could have been. And it takes a few people, I mean, we study films, for us to actually get the ideology and the messages of like, hey, go out and live in the real world because that's actually better. Sure. You know, it's, it's like th- be ch- be more true to yourself it, in that way. It, it, Halliday didn't say it as direct. It's
1: the first Bueller. You know, life goes by pretty fast. If you don't stop and take a look at it within a while, you know, you're missing, you know, I forget the exact quote, but... Right.
0: But that was an on-the-nose uh, very sort of message. This was, as Marissa said, a very convoluted... Very vague. I'll tell you, so two things. Number one, I think the biggest misstep and okay so when I think about why I like this movie mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily love the movie I love the idea of the Oasis and I wish there was a video game because I, I honestly I coming I <laughs> it's really wanted to be in the video game afterwards I was like oh this is, this is pretty cool I, that's the irony is I would have wanted to go into the Oasis and probably escape the life in general and I'll host Anatomy from there moving forward but I <laughs> can't wait to see what his avatar looks like but you know when when Holiday and Wade finally confront each other, and I promise we'll talk about the earlier stuff that leads up because there's there's enough to talk about there. Uh, but when they finally confront each other, it was a pseudo convoluted for me encounter. Are it you was, talking it,
1: the middle of the movie at the very the end of the movie? The, the end, end of okay. the
0: movie. It was it was as if it wasn't quite to the, to the Matrix Reloaded level. And for those of you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go see that movie. But in some sense, <laughs> I was like, wait, what the hell is going on? And, and it just wraps it up with, wait, so you're really not Holiday? No. Okay. And it's like, it just tried to be more than it was. It's, at that point, yeah, Holiday's dead, that's just an avatar, just like in any other video game. What deeper message are we... Why why are we poking at this to try to gain some deeper meaning? And if there is no deeper meaning, why even ask the question? Just to (laughs) confirm his death? Really? I I was just confused as all hell. Maybe if you guys guys can answer that little scene for me, maybe I'll enjoy the movie more.
2: Yeah, and and I think it was was hard to understand it because when we actually do see Halliday in his form, whatever you want to call it, um, he's not the greatest speaker. It doesn't no. seem like he's not... He, he doesn't have social skills because he was always that lonely kid playing video games. He wasn't out in the world communicating communicating to people. So that's probably why his message was so convoluted because he didn't know how to actually say it out loud to people um, as directly as it ideally would have been. So it, it might be... Maybe you just have to... He speaks in kind of riddles, but... Overall, you know, he there's meaning underneath it. Well, you he's know, not the best speaker.
1: No, he wasn't, and I think to, though uh, that, that was actually a nuance of Rylance's, Mark Rylance's performance that I loved because as an actor, again, he he he's a chameleon. He becomes somebody else. He becomes this hippy dippy '80s guy who plays video games who's not assured of himself. He has this. Uh, he has this. Um, uh, Soft, set, set, set voice. And he, he has a hard time, I think, connecting. And, 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 but I think he's grown enough where he got to the point in life where he figured a lot of it was because of him. He immersed himself in this world where he didn't have it, he couldn't kiss the girl. He didn't have the courage, the fortitude to go forward with that. And it was a woman that he, he fell in love with. And that was a regret of his life. If you look at it from, from 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 that romantic stance, and he always regretted it. It's not that he hated his friend for being able to take that chance, but he it was a regret. And I think and he realized it was all on his shoulders. It was because of him. He had opportunity. He just never took it. And I think for Wade and whoever was going to win this, he built he designed this these puzzles. So that the person who did win it is Wade, he's our hero and he's our protagonist, is going to take the chance. He wants that person to see through research because a lot of it was through research that you're figuring out uh, uh, the puzzles, the riddles. And, and the, the person who is going to do it was going to put in the work, unlike the company. Didn't, they, wanted, they just wanted to cheat, basically, you know they were going to get it without, without respecting the rules in a sense, and learning through the process. We're weighed.
0: how they hated rules, so there's your mistake. Yeah. Well, but
1: they, they wanted to cheat, and they weren't going to do the work. To, they weren't going to do the work to appreciate what they're missing in life because they were just going to commercialize it and make those chairs and make no, life worse That was for absolutely
0: ridiculous. But the, the, I, I can't wait to talk about the main goal of the, the villains is 80% ads. But, <laughs> okay, let me, let, me, let me pose this to you guys. If the point was, hey, live life and all that, I the first... I, I loved visually the first challenge and it kind of what I appreciated about it was you can look at it on multiple levels as far as you know regrets about the past because you have to go backwards uh, also slowing things down and, uh, and all that so I appreciate that message but I think there moving forward the challenges should have been very geared towards hey slow things down stop and smell the roses, love the people you're with type of things in terms of its message. But as far as that, the second challenge, going through The Shining and then seeing her, like, the message was convoluted. And then the third one... But we're it play- was dancing with the girl. Yeah, but like, it was so lost in everything else. I didn't... Well, Just it wasn't lost girl. on me.
1: I mean, to me, that was... And again, that that's a major, major schism from the book. But, like, the Shining uh, aspect
0: of it. But that's the way I... You know, I thought it was clear that... So what's the third challenge where, where like it's well, the, the first th- video game where that has the original Easter egg? Yeah, and, and it's like okay, well, how does that how does that really convey this message of you know slow things down, be part of the real world, and so forth? That that was a the the end war, the end game, trying to
1: find this this one Easter egg because again, you're looking at a game that was in its form even today. It's one of the simplest put together games. Life was simpler then. Like they didn't have like video games. No, I'll accept that same. answer. So it was it was in its simplest form. It was like this is life in its simplest form. It was one Easter egg. I think that maybe if you found out. You know, this is it. It's unlike like again a lot of games today. There are it, it, what they do is they challenge the 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 operator. To find Easter eggs in the game, to find these because you can level up, power up, do whatever. Where this this game was almost like Dot Matrix, for crying out loud. Okay, and, and you know, going back to a simpler time, and the games were still fun back then. There was still a challenge to do it. And so, enjoy life, enjoy the game. But, yeah. you know, I'll that, accept that,
0: so. Marissa.
2: Right. I I think it was more for like the the last one with the original Easter egg is sometimes we just overthink things and make things more challenging than they really are, and I I think that could too. have been the message because in life sometimes it doesn't have to be as hard as you think it is, right. and I think it's just like no, enjoy the game, find like you because it is sometimes just as simple as you think it is. Well, you know, okay. that could be it
0: okay fair enough uh, I, I do accept that answer <laughs> I wish it was a little bit tighter in terms of its bow and how it was presented but uh, alright let's shift gears and talk about Nolan Sorrento the good old villain of of this movie what did you get I, I mean he's definitely over the top sure no I don't think anyone can deny that but beyond that do you think it worked what did you guys like or not like about him
2: um I, I think Ben Mendelssohn's great and we've seen a lot of movies we with have. him we recently. Have. I think he was good. Um I couldn't trust I mean obviously he, he is the villain, but I didn't trust like how smart he was as a villain. Having your password so clearly out in the open for anyone to steal not smart and but he usually had lackeys to do his work Correct. He, he was the person who he had the idea he wanted to do it but he hired everyone else to do the muscle work so I'm yep. like how like take away all the IOI people take away the big guy who created the curse with the with the orb and the stuff he's really nobody. he could be taken out and in a punch so there were moments of his character I was like, should I really be that afraid of you? You know, And that just question means, like, how big of a villain are you really?
1: He personified what we've seen a lot in other movies, whether it's corporate greed and, mm. and such. And I've got the big company and I'm making money off of the little people who are never going to be able to pay back their loans because of the interest rate. And they're never going to be able to work it off. I agree with you. Ben Mendelssohn, I've so come to appreciate him as a... I mean, he's, he, too, is sort of a chameleon uh, with, the, with, the, with the one respect that I've yet to see him play a good guy. I'd like to see him play a good guy. There's something about him. Like, I just saw this movie Black Sea that he was in as well. And again, I was like, holy shit, is that Ben Mendelsohn? I almost didn't recognize him. It would be, uh, I think, the first time I can remember seeing him was in The, the Dark Knight Rises and again, he was a he was a you know a bad guy, stockbroker guy. <laughs> so it would be fun to see him play a good guy, but he seems to relish playing a bad guy. And he does it really well. So good. <laughs> you know, he is. He's fun. For me, he's fun and interesting to watch. And I even think, see, when you said tie up in a bow, some of the criticisms is, you know, this movie comes to the end and it comes in such a bow. With the beautiful wrapping and everything. Because even at the end when he sees the Easter egg, the one egg, he even, like, smiled. Like, he like for, for a second you saw a little bit of warmth <laughs> in that character. Like, everybody everybody had their happy moment. You can criticize that. That's fine. I was just into the flow with it. But Ben Mendelsohn, as, a, as Sorrento, I thought he was really... I liked him a lot. I really did as a performer. He's just fun to watch. He
2: was good. He was, he played a great a-hole. <laughs> yeah. So like, he oh, yes. has to say that. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as a villain, was like, good villains, and we've talked about a lot about uh, mm. bad villains who are, like, really good villains, um, and it's like they, they, they have to be on the same level and get to that point where you're like, hey, we might even lose, you know, against whoever we're up against. Like, And not once was I ever really truly afraid of Sorrento. Well,
0: I, I, I was I more afraid f- of I Rock. Yeah. <laughs> Our- well, yes, God. I mean, as far as his lackeys, I, I don't disagree with you, but he was always willing to pull that trigger no matter what. Yes. And so, while he may not be the one to enact it, overall, he was, I mean, the fact that he was the one that the Doomsday bomb and set, he set it off and he was willing to do so. Showed a lot about it. Yeah. About, uh, about the depths he was willing to go to. And so I appreciated him for that. As far as a villain, you, you know, real quickly on the ending as far as a bow, I don't like those final moments, I don't think they were fully earned. I think, you know, I think it forcefully tied the bow, but it's not. I don't mind it when things are very nicely wrapped and there's that emotion to it when it's earned. This just kind of came. Oh, you know what? Let's just have him do the act. But two seconds later, he's in the car uh, with his real world lackey. I, f- I forget her name, but you know, he says, "Hey, all right. So here's what we're gonna do." And luckily, you know, good for her. She, she slugs her. him. <laughs> so she she at least learned.
1: Yeah, she uh, finale. Oh, finale. <laughs> I think Xandor. Uh, yeah, she was she was a good she was a good henchman. I felt. I, I really liked her as a henchman. She was, she was great. She was like strong henchman. She, she, she could be formidable in a fight. She could handle herself. Okay. And, um, you know, she, she, she's a good person. Uh, if you're going to be a bad guy, have in your side. Because <laughs> she, too, could pull the trigger if need be, I felt, from her. But you're right. That doomsday bomb, he was willing to blow it all up. If I can't have it, nobody will. And everybody will get will be forced to live in the real world. But nobody learns a lesson that way. And you can't, you know, so... But his stakes were high, and I felt that he was a fun villain to watch. In this kind of a movie, am I looking for a villain that's, like, in Die Hard? Not necessarily. This is a different kind of movie. He was, for this movie, that, that Sorrento is a, he's an excellent, fun villain to watch. To overcome.
2: He's no Hans Gruber.
1: No. No. But, he,
0: but I think he could play Hans Gruber. <laughs> well, no, ben he could Mandela. play
2: Hans on yeah. than Alan. Um, we
0: digress. As, as far as the... Let's call it the rebellion against IOI. How did you guys think that played out? Because when Wade rises to the mantle of this leader, first off, it felt very Harry Potter-esque where they're like, Harry, you're a wonderful wizard. It's like, oh, okay. Well, apart from not dying to Voldemort... What have you really done? <laughs> right. And as far as Wade, like, yeah, he got the key, but at no point, like, did I think that he was more qualified than Artemis or, or H to really lead the rebellion and have more knowledge of of Halliday than anyone else.
2: I think Artemis was more qualified to lead. In well, honesty,
1: it, that is a big difference of the book uh, and, and the movie. Where in the, I think I said this a little bit earlier. The book is a little more singular. Where Wade does figure things out and, and let's it 's from his perspective it 's from his perspective, and let 's not he he is the person that figured out what if I go backwards, what if I was able to go backwards you know he 's a smart kid that can figure out the ways of a game to find certain clues, hints, and Easter eggs in a game a new challenge he 's a very good gamer and he has some smarts. I think where, and I think where, and this is where the movie really separates itself from the book, too, is that it ended up becoming more of a team effort, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed that aspect of the book because it gave Artemis in the book, she's great, but not really given a lot to do, where in this movie, she is given a lot to do, and you're right, she could be his equal, and that's why they fit so perfectly together from a cinematic standpoint, so I enjoyed the fact that it wasn't just one person. He relied on his goony friends
2: the to, to, five. to the high
1: the high five to, to to figure out and to get the pieces of the map and to find the treasure at the end.
2: Also, and I think that makes like a that. more believable narrative too, just for a film standpoint where if you're taking down a humongous corporation filled of thousand quote-unquote employers and stuff, it, it's going to be hard for one person to take it down. But if five people work as a team you know, calculating different people's moves and stuff, and getting, getting like, I, I did like how they did take and go into the IOI and all the, the fake reality that they sure, set up. Yeah. But when you have a team attacking and going against a corporation, it makes it more believable that they could actually be more successful.
1: Right. And it's something in the movie, too, that Halliday never had. Halliday was a very singular, lonely man where Wade has friends. He has friends, in that, and that's the other thing that the Oasis made. Uh, it was bright and shiny in the Oasis, where you have friends in the Oasis. But you got the feeling that once they came out, like you said, and I thought they, did, I thought they did a great job with that too. I mm-hmm. loved seeing those kids in the real world, but they were they could be friends in the, uh, there. Is no reason why they couldn't have been friends in the real world too, and together in both the real world and the Oasis, their avatar worlds. They could work together and I really I appreciated that change from a cinematic standpoint and again yeah. it just gave them more it, it, it added a little more to the nostalgia of it all because for me as I said it sort of reminded me of the Goonies of putting these, these misfit kids together and they get to solve puzzles
2: yeah, to goody. get the
1: treasure
0: yeah well, I think that as far as commentary goes that you know it's usually as far as the the people that are great at these games are going to be the younger kids versus you have IOI and yes they've employed a lot of wonderfully amazing let's say kids but it's always an older company and and if you don't have that spirit as wade says to him you know a hater can tell a hater right. or a gamer can tell a hater or right. whatever the exact line is mm-hmm. um let's do talk about some of the differences from book to movie because <laughs> there I mean, as, as far as it, what I can tell, it might be easier to start from... I, I got about halfway through the book. So, uh, but it might be easier to start what the similarities are, which is there's Holiday. He creates this contest. There's IOI. They want to win the contest. And there's Wade, who's getting through challenges and the characters, and that's where the overall the similarities kind of end. Pretty much. Pretty much.
1: Um... You know, for, for me, some of the aspects that I can remember, you say you've read halfway through. Did you read it at no, all? I did not. No. So, again, I think where the the book to me, and again, it's one of those books that I read that, again, just ear to ear smiles because of the nostalgia that it brought up. Um, but again, I, I think that, well one, of, well, one of the big things is it made it a point that Wade is poor. Wade's poor. Um, and there are different worlds to go to. And he, he he can only go as far as this... I forget the name of the world. Somebody can help me out. But I forget the name of the world. But it's the where he goes to school. That's his high school. Oh, Lotus or something like it's Something that. like that. But that's... And, and ironically, that's where the first challenge is.
0: Well, the clue wait, is about uh, where do people... Yeah. Where do people need to learn the most or something like that?
1: Yeah, so... <laughs> and cool. and but you can't travel to worlds unless you have coin. So even in the Oasis. That, even in the Oasis. So that was one of the, the 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 biggest things but like changes but again where this adaptation works is it's slim it pares down a lot. It really takes it to its, you know, it really makes it Willy Wonka here because we've got challenges uh, this guy dies um he's leaving the keys of the castle to whoever can figure out his challenges were in this, the challenges were um, for example, the first challenge was, more, it was movie karaoke, you had to recite every line from War Games okay. oh, yeah. that's a great movie <laughs> you're right, well, the th- you would love the book, and so sure. because it has all this stuff in it, so you can't do that in a movie so y- you just can't, you can't because, why am I going to watch a movie where people are just. Right. Well, but that's what they did, in a sense. So, the biggest, another huge change is so you see the keys, and I say that they they're, they're, they come from more the book than the movie. The middle key, the second challenge, uh, it's wrapped in tin foil. The reason being is the second challenge in the book had to do with the movie Blade Runner, the Voigt Kampf test, which I believe was the answer to the big puzzle. Was taking this void comp test, which is a huge part of Blade Runner, and the foil when you unwrap the key, turn it into the unicorn that James Olmos makes out. So again, they were actually uh, true. True story is that Blade Runner was going to be the movie within the movie, but Blade Runner twenty forty nine was in production. At the same time that they were going for Ready Player One, so they decided to scrap the idea. Going with The Shining, to me, made 100% complete sense, being Spielberg's love of Kubrick Mm -hmm. and doing that movie, which is probably one of Kubrick's, like, you know, you're not going to do Full Metal Jacket. No. <laughs> right. So, watch re- eyes re- wide shut. <laughs> I actually
2: rewatched The Shining just like two days ago because you, of this because movie. Of the movie. It made me want to, like, rewatch The Shining. I was like, oh, yeah, <clears throat> all the references. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, so that's a major change. The other thing that's really cool about The well, Shining... A, what, I,
0: what I appreciate about it, just to point out, uh, it's it's not ju- just the movie itself, it's the clue then that, that leads to it. Because it's a whole domino effect as Absolutely. far as the, the creator who hates his creation. Right. Which is, uh, of course, uh, Stephen King. Right. You know, who actually hates The Shining, the movie. Yeah.
1: So, um, But the cool thing about that is, is that Zach Penn, who's a co-writer who wrote wrote the screenplay, he also wrote this movie called The Last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is referenced a couple of times in the street race uh, going by a movie theater. Jack Slater is on the marquee. It's a Jack Slater movie playing. This, they go into a cinema in which they're Brought into, they're dragged into the movie, much like in The Last Action Hero. Whether you like that movie Last Action Hero or not, but it's a pure reference, and I thought it worked. That it worked better than in Last Action Hero. Um, It was a great... I, w- I was amazed as to how well they mimicked the show. I, I thought they were actually just playing the movie but they recreated it and you recreated it to a T and then they added that whole dance sequence which was really cool and I liked that. So that's a major difference uh, in the book as
0: well. What so, I appreciate <clears throat> when you, you mentioned Zach but it's, uh, the fact that um, Ernest Klein was also a writer on this he was the author of the book the, the fact that he had the wherewithal to be able to do that because a lot of authors You know, they're like, okay, I gotta stick to this and I think A, he understood it's a different medium and you know, he's he's very well known for writing TV, movies, and and all that. So he's he's jumped around as far as his writing, so he he knows well enough. And I appreciate that and I think I appreciate the fact that he not only changed it out of necessity, but also tried to improve upon the book.
1: Yeah, and he wasn't married to his he wasn't married to his creation. Like I, I appreciate you can respect that too because we hear so many times that they don't want it messed with. But I think that they did a good job. The other thing that that the major change too is Artemis. I said this earlier before in the book she she's there, she's a romantic interest, not given a lot. So but one of the main things that they do in the movie that's a difference is they they swap positions. The whole thing when she's um
0: at IOI.
1: Uh, yeah, at IOI. That was a plan that in the book, Wade had come up where he was going to purposely get captured, be put into the IOI, and things were going to go from there. But in this, they put her in there. They give her more of a role. They make her even smarter. They make her a good character to pair up with Wade. They give her smarts. They give her some backbone And they also add suspense to the movie because when she's like, when they're more or less found out and he's looking for her, like, so they give her more, which I was very thankful for. Because it beefs up a female character in a movie and they just give her more to do and they make her a smart, strong character. Or in the book, she's a fun character, just doesn't have as much to do. There were some deaths that happened in the book that, that, that don't occur in the movie and I was okay with that. I just walked away going, you know, sometimes we talk about changes in a book and people get really, like, pissed off because they've changed so much, right? This one, I was all fine because from a cinematic standpoint,
0: yeah, I don't, I don't, it I don't makes think, sense. I don't think too many people so got upset. Do you think upset.
2: they made change, changes for the better?
1: I do. Well, I think they made the changes. They're better for the movie. You know, I mean, I think you, like, you haven't read the book. So I think if you were to read the book, you'd go oh, this is a really fun book. Like, I had a really good time reading it. And, you know, the movie's really good, too. So I think they really do coexist, regardless of what changes that they had to make from a cinematic standpoint. I think that it, it worked. Like, I didn't need to go to all these different worlds as they have to do in the, the, the book.
0: Yeah, and to, I think... The, I, the I, challenges. What's great about... I, I will admit this. Uh, the The premise is fun where you can do a variety of things with it. You're not married to it. Like, if, if you're... Let's say you read Lord of the Rings. If you were to change the Lord of the Rings as far as the movies from the overall core of the various things that the book is, I don't think you'd like it as much. Right. You, you know what I mean? There, I don't know. There, there's just some books that, that you just love the premise and you can toy with the premise multiple ways and each of them, like with this, can be a standalone piece versus... I'm trying to think, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how to explain it better than that, but, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, it is what it is. I, I,
2: I, I think. I mean, I haven't read the book, but like you were saying, Lord of the Rings, if you change. Th- Things that changes the message, then that changes how people hmm. think of either the book or the movie. And and it seems like in this movie they changed just referential things. So mm-hmm. like you, we had Blade Runner change that, but let's put it in another popular movie that people will still understand these references. Sure. So I think yeah, it, if it, but at the end it didn't change the message. It just changed the situation.
1: Right, and and when I mentioned War Games. You're like, oh, I love that movie. It a right? Great film. It's a great movie. In the book in which it happens, you're like, oh my God, he he actually he's memorized all of war games. <laughs> like who does that, right? <laughs> and so the nostalgia factor of the book, as heavily 80s as it was, and, and and it quoted John Hughes a lot. So we even had our John Hughes, there was actually a couple of John Hughes references in this in this movie. So yeah. it's all in there. It's just presented differently in a more visual Way and you can choose if you want to watch watching the movie. You can choose to look for everything. I found that a lot of the Easter eggs are just hiding in plain sight, like and you can see them or they could go away. A book you can do that nostalgia thing very. You can do it on that literary. You don't have to look for it. It's just in the written page where they talk about war games or Lady Hawk. Or, or or breakfast club or sixteen. I, I, I
0: get you, you know, in the sense of like if a stormtrooper walks by because that's an avatar, it's a fun visual reference that sure. you get in a movie. Versus like if you had to be like, I walked past the stormtrooper, I walked. <laughs> <it."> so, <laughs> right. Um, I want to shift slight gears. Um, this isn't necessarily a story, but it kind of ties in as far as the licensing, the all the references. Right. This is a fun. You know, you have to kind of tip your hat off to what they were able to do oh and God. ironically Spielberg was part of the first group to ever do like when you go back to who framed Roger Rabbit yeah I was gonna say with mm-hmm. with, with Disney characters and Warner, Warner, Brothers, Warner Brothers
1: and yeah
0: So, you know, he's, as far as that's concerned, he's making history again with all the, you know, you've got Batman, you've got, uh, they they didn't, the only thing as far as, I mean, there's still a lot of references they couldn't pull in, but they didn't do a lot of Star Wars references simply because Disney didn't want to. It's still a property that's going very fast and heavy. right Um, But, uh, you know, apart from that, do you guys have more details of how you're able to pull this off?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, the, it was, well, particularly the non-Warner Brother properties, um, they couldn't just add in whatever they wanted. And uh, so Steven Spielberg was preoccupied with the movie itself, and the burden of getting these rights, all the properties, fell into Warner Brothers team producer Christy Makosko Krieger, and especially Special Project Supervisor Deidre Bax, all of whom approached Disney, Fox, uh, Paramount, Universal, and various other studios for the character licensing. And according to uh Zach Penn, uh back the effort in clearing the rights to each character in the film was so astounding that it's gonna be taught in film schools. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so and this comes from um I should credit this, uh screenrant.com had a whole breakdown of not only all of the Easter eggs, but how this was done. And they even go as far as saying what wasn't or isn't in the movie. But Spielberg it's it's like you said with who, who framed Roger Rabbit at the time. That was one of the things where people were just amazed. Nobody thought that it could be pulled off where Warner Brothers and Disney would like shake hands and go, okay, we'll allow it in there. And again when you look at Roger Rabbit is one of the closest movies that I can compare Ready Player One to because Roger Rabbit broke the mold at that time. In so many in, you know, ways, In yeah. so many ways, right? And this movie, from a technological standpoint, like, breaks the mold, even in the way that it was filmed. But getting the rights to all of the characters in Easter eggs... I mean, there was some stuff that, like... To see the... To, to, to see the RV from Spaceballs... Like, are you <laughs> kidding me? I was like, that's the Spaceballs RV! I mean... That stuff was why I could be so giddy. And it's not like they hid that one. It was right there. (laughs) like You could see it. So I can understand. Spielberg carries a lot of weight. And again, I think that's why I think he was the only one that
0: really could have pulled this off
1: to to have that happen.
0: Well, as far as his producing me like his stature i want to I, I did ask myself this if i didn't know steven spielberg did this movie would i know it's a steven spielberg movie and i tried to think of what is a steven spielberg trait yes he does a lot of action he does great movies that i've loved but if, 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 if a simple example you look at jj abrams lens flare everywhere that's a jj <laughs> abrams staple right I honestly like if you erased my memory that this was a Steven Spielberg movie. What makes this a Steven Spielberg movie?
1: In today's world, uh, the cinematography, uh, Janusz Kaminski, who's been using since I believe Schindler's List, it does have that certain look to it. It looked beautiful in both worlds. Um, I think you you had brought up something, Phil. Um, I always remember this because I always thought it was a very astute observation. But this was like. Podcasts ago where you said something about Spielberg is great at doing um match cuts.
0: Match or, cuts. Yeah. yeah.
1: Th- this movie had match cuts. So many match right? cuts. Right. And he is great at that. <laughs> like, and like from the opening shot of how we're introduced to Wade and he's going down the stacks is the way he the um he dollies his camera, is another word, the way he pushes in. A lot. There are many of the Spielberg traits, and then of course is the you know the, the movies that he made in the in the eighties, <clears throat> um, you know, or late seventies too. Whether it be Close Encounters, which left you with a good feeling, Raiders of the Lost Ark, E.T. of course, right? All of the movies that he produced that he might not have directed, they still had that Spielbergian kind of feel to them, like the Goonies um, and such. So there was a feeling, and, and his commercialism, this is why he was always hated. You saw that documentary, like, mm-hmm. right? It was yeah. a great documentary. Did you see that documentary on HBO? Spielberg, called Spielberg. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very solid, but it goes into why he was really disdained by the elite, um, because he was just making movies that went for the heart, um, that that weren't, they didn't necessarily have to be deep. He made them to entertain. And this movie, purely, doesn't have to be deep, but it entertained. He's,
2: he's good with the sentimentality. Absolutely. Feeling that's left at the end of the movie. I don't feel we really got sentimental with this movie. We got nostalgia, definitely, mm-hmm. with all the references. But I think we've seen a lot of Spielberg movies that. Have friends working together to get somewhere.
1: Sure, you know, ET is a perfect example e. of that.
2: Now this one, um, and you, you said with the match cousin, definitely the cinematography too. Who when when we see like so many IOI people die, like they get hit in the oasis, but then cut to the real world where all of them go red. Um, mm-hmm. So many of those, uh, I think, definitely the cinematography, um, how tra- you know tracks through mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. But because Spielberg does such a great job of showing so many things in one motion.
1: Yeah. That sets am- up a shot. Yeah. He's amazing with moving a camera when it's. But it, you don't even get a sense that it's moving. Like he can do a dolly track on somebody, like the open, like Jaws when they're on the beach, You're, like following Chrissy as she's going into the water. he he has his signature things that he's done, you know, particularly like even, you can look at a movie like uh, Saving Private Ryan, The Storming of Normandy, where you follow one person, then you're following another person that person goes down, that's like a common, that's a Spielberg trait that he always seems to up the ante, and he can do it in a really hard drama or he can make it in a Popcorn well, movies such as Ready Player yeah, One. Spielberg
2: does a great job of always like letting the the viewer audience person who's watching like know exactly where they are in the scope sure. of the scene, Absolutely. like in the exact location of where, of, like who's who, what are they doing, and who's where. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you always get that sense of your your space. Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of Jaws and uh, Saving Private Ryan, ironically, Ready Player One is the third hardest movie after those two. That Spielberg said he's ever done. So I don't know what metrics he's using to measure this, but I would I would have thought Ready Player One, as far as ambition, would have been a first on the list, but I guess not.
1: Well, Jaws
0: because Jaws of all the technical and, and, and he, he, he This isn't
1: technical. Well, no, but but, but again, that, when, that was when a when practical you look history, thing. Yeah, was. I mean, it was his idea to. Uh, it was his first major motion picture. It was his idea to film actually on the water instead of doing it in a tank, uh, and all the problems that came with nature. I mean, he almost uh, he almost went crazy. He almost quit. He, he almost like called it a day. Um, Saving Private Ryan had its uh, you know, it had its uh, technical. Feet, like the storming of Normandy alone.
2: Yeah, I mean, just you look the at first how twenty minutes. That,
1: um, I would say Schindler's List. Um, but remember, he did something with uh, Ready Player One that he did with. Schindler's List, in which he was actually creating two movies at the same time, he was doing The Post, he was doing Ready Player One while he was getting ready while doing The Post, (laughs) post. and in Schindler's List, he was like editing Jurassic Park. And at least, like, The Post is a good drama, but Jesus, it's not Schindler's List. Like, how you can go from a mindset (laughs) of Schindler's List and then go, okay, now I got to do a, uh, you know, a, a, a dinosaur movie he he's genius when it comes to that uh so he was doing double duty but also what was cool about this is he really immersed himself into this world of of vr and it also goes to my point earlier that we're all stuck to our iPhones i mean this this thing called augmented reality is becoming more and more popular um, Samsung has a VR device. VR attractions are, are showing up at theme parks. Um, more, Sport, and more
2: Sporting channels are going to be doing <clears throat> VR.
1: Yeah. So it's becoming more and more. And, and he's had uh, especially VR goggles, whatever you want to call them, headsets. Yeah. So he could be in the VR world and know where to put his camera. Um, you saw that. Uh, I forget what movie he was filming, but in that documentary, He's always talking about... He's always thinking, where am I putting the camera? Where's the best thing? And then he's always thinking, yeah. almost like chess, he's always thinking of the next three scenes, too, that he's got to figure out. And in this, he had to be in a virtual reality world where he actually immersed himself in a virtual reality world to try to figure out where what's this going to look like and where do I place the camera so I can get the best action and, and show my and, and show my actors... Um, how the man works is is incredible. Whatever
2: time off he
1: gets, he, he deserves. <laughs> he has an eye. He has a, a and literal a
2: visual creative eye to to pull off these things. Because in the documentary, I forget which exact movie, but there there was a moment where they might have uh, they were going to cancel the, their scheduled film shoots because things weren't working. out technically in the blocking of everything. Steven Spielberg took one 20 minute walk around mm-hmm. the, the location and he came back with all the. He's like, we're going to place the camera here and here and here. We're not going to cancel anything. We're still going to shoot. Yeah. So, like, he has the visual, creativeness, and directing sure. um, ability to pull things off that other people just don't mentally have. That they, they don't have that. They don't think the way he does.
0: Well, you know, what's, what's ironic about this movie, uh, when, when we speak about it, is he, in a sense, created the franchise movie for, for, you know, not literally, but for all intent I mean, with Indiana Jones, like, Jaws. Well, he, like, he, like, I dude, mean,
1: well, he, he invented the blockbuster. Yeah. Jaws yeah. was it. Jaws was Jaws the first was movie. And, and th- that was coined because of Steven Spielberg. Um, no movie at the time had gone out as wide on a single day as Jaws did. It changed the world of of cinematic or or theatrical. It changed the world of theatrical distribution as they knew it back in the 70s. And then from there, especially with George Lucas, right, then it becomes, yes, the franchise, the sequel pictures. Sequels have always been around, even in the Abbott and Costello days. I mean, sequels have been around for a long time. Universal had every sequel to their monster movies. Their sequels, and yet he's and thankfully has not done one for ET, but making Indiana Jones, um, you know, we're not going to get a sequel to uh, The Color Purple, you know, or Schindler's, or, or even Saving Private Ryan. I think not all of his movies are sequelitis, but he definitely brought in what is the mega blockbuster. He and George Lucas ushered in this new world of how movies are marketed and how they are distributed to the world.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, part of it is when you look at it. I mean, granted, it was a pre-existing property, but it's interesting to <clears> like. It's just refreshing when you bring in a new property that isn't Marvel or Star Wars. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Agreed. A, right. Agreed. I mean, and that's what sort of kind of. This is a movie. Ready Player One is a movie that, had it been the '80s, the references would have been completely different. But this is a movie that would have been released on Memorial Day. This is a movie that would have been released Memorial Day or in June.
2: It just like, started the summer.
1: Right. It would have been the kickoff, and it would have been the high... That, that's the big-ticket event to go to, right? Now it's released in March, and, and don't get me wrong, I think they had a good date to try to get the the the, the most in, but I asked myself, why isn't Ready Player One... I, you know, I watched some trailers last night, movies coming out in August and, and such, and I'm like going... How is this movie? Like, how is Ready Player One not a summer movie? It's not a summer movie because, as you said, we've got Marvel movies. We've got Star Wars movies.
0: They're, They're hard you to contend some,
1: with. And you've got yeah. Spielberg's Jurassic...
0: Well, it's yeah, not his, but well, right. technically he's still um, producing on a it. He's a producer. Jurassic, Jurassic, World Jurassic World 2 yeah. is in the summer, so... so.
1: But, you know, how does Ready Player One... I, I, again, it, it just... I like the date that they picked only because of whatever competition was, was, was around it, but this typically would have been, under regular circumstances, a summer movie. Or, or maybe even a Christmas. Like, this is a kind of movie that would be released during Thanksgiving,
0: maybe. It was supposed maybe, to be. Yeah. yeah. Originally, it was supposed to be in December of 2017, but...
2: But thanks to Star Wars. Yeah.
0: They didn't. Kevin. And instead, they released The Post. So, completely... But different. also,
2: The Post had a lot of recognition for nominations, sure, and, and that was definitely an Academy Award contender, so it makes absolutely. sense. This one, maybe for definitely for visual effects of and, sound editing, and sound editing, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, again, I don't see this to be like you know, even though it would be my favorite picture, I'm mean, gonna be best picture, but I, you know, again, though, I would see no reason if you have 10 slots again, why can't a movie that sort of makes you feel good? fill in a tense, tense slot. Like, no. yeah, just
2: a, <laughs> greatest showman. Come on. So, yeah, it could have been the tense. slot. Yeah,
1: it's, it's just um again, it uh I don't mind the release date. Um but well, this mean? was this this used to be a blockbuster that you would see in the eighties because it would be giving you something new and fun to go to the movies for. Mm-hmm. And this is what I, I don't under you know we can get at a box office, but why did this movie only make Whatever it made uh, in its opening, like this could have, this should have made more to me, anyways. So, it, you know, but and we're already touting that 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 the next Avengers movie is going to open, open in its first three to four days, two hundred million dollars, two hundred million dollars in its opening weekend. So we are driven by superhero franchises and, and Star Wars.
0: Well, let me ask you guys. I want, I, want to, I want to kind of ask you guys this. The, the idea... Is, it, it may not be a franchise yet, although we can certainly talk about the possible sequel that's being talked about. I do want to... As far as the self-referential stuff. You know, part of... People loved Force Awakens because of how much of it, it reminded them of A New Hope. And when you look at the first Jurassic World... It made a lot of money because it reminded them of Jurassic Park the first one mm-hmm. uh, the people disliked Last Jedi because it was something different in the Star Wars universe I'm trying to think of other examples and so forth but is there are we too reliant on nostalgia for nostalgia's sake to drive these factors as opposed to I mean you know just make something so make something original on its own
2: yeah, I think we are. I think our generation is so used to growing up with franchises and always having another movie to look forward to cuz when we see in the sequel or the the third one whatever it's like you already you already have something to go back to to reference to understand something. Sure. And I I think yeah, what makes Jurassic World and uh Force Awakens so good cuz they already had references from the first one that they understood. And acknowledged and appreciated. This one maybe not.
1: Yeah, this one I think is just done a little bit differently. Although it could be a movie that you know might have been released in the eighties because it just has the feel. This this self this referential these Easter eggs. I mean, come the book was very much done that. The, the book was done as in I was a product of the eighties. These are the things that I watched, and I was a geek and a nerd, and I loved movies uh, and video games, and that's where Ernest Klein. If I can put him in a Willy Wonka-ish kind of world, I'm going to write the book. Now, however, I will say this about uh, you know your your question from a book standpoint, where I loved Ready Player One, his follow up book was a book called Armada, which is basically a retelling of Last Starfighter. The book itself even says uh, within the book, it's like Last Starfighter. I felt that that book the the references the easter eggs or the cell it was so re- self referential that it seemed forced it wasn't as easy flowing as as the book ready player one i found here that it wasn't necessarily forced i found it very fun to see certain things and if you want to hunt for more you can but i found it it was nostalgic from a time that many people just love they still watch those movies. And everybody, a lot of people, I should say, not maybe everybody knows the 1966 Batmobile, but yet they also know the Michael Keaton Batman. Like, you can climb Mount Everest with Batman. <laughs> and it was the Michael Keaton Batman. So, you know, you saw Robocop in this. So...
2: Yeah, right. Sorry not to cut you off. But, but I, I think what works with, like, this one, it, it may not be as a Self-referential because it references so many other things, and the things that they reference are timeless. Sure, like people love the the movies from the seventies and eighties because if you you said we still watch them now because they're timeless. They they age pretty well. Maybe not the practical effects, but like the feeling, the nostalgia, the sentimentality. They age well. People still relate to them,
1: and they're very different from what we get in a lot of cinema today. And and they were made in the eighties, so. And Spielberg did make it a point, he says, look, I don't want to make a movie where I'm just, I'm, I'm, self, I'm being self-referential. I mean, mm-hmm. he really limited and cut that down. Yes, you had you had um, um, the T-Rex, the, the, among the t-rex, other things. among some other things here and there. But there were a lot of references. Back to the Future is a huge reference in this movie, both from, from visual and sound cues. King right. Kong, well, you know, Godzilla.
0: But I so. also worry. I, I worry about how it changes perception. Like, okay. for example, the Iron Giant is heavily featured in this movie, but it's also fighting. That's his primary purpose in this movie. Whereas, if you look at the original Iron Giant, it was like, no, 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 I'm good. I don't want to fight. And so it changes that message of it. And I, and I, as time goes by, I do worry that we will change the central meaning of all of these things in lieu of something else
1: it, it's interesting because what you brought up is a, is, a, is a big criticism a lot of people were petitioning a lot of people were on social media uh, there was a, there was an outcry of using the iron giant and in the book the iron giant was a uh, um what's the word that that was like something that you could you could buy that that was like a one shot kind of deal that you can use, the Iron Giant. In here, you know, for me the Iron Giant was used in a way that I don't think it was any disrespectful to the movie. I love the movie. It's a fantastic movie to watch.
2: Iron Giant's uh, great movie. It, it's a think, great movie. I think it's like the Iron Giant, the also the message like when the Iron Giant "Quote unquote," fight. It was because he was protecting He's the protect- kid, yeah. And so Iron Giant fought in this film because he was protecting the high protecting- five. I mean, it makes in a way. To it me, makes it made sense.
1: sense. It didn't. It didn't bother me uh, for, for the for the outcry that happened. I was mm-hmm. like, J- just take it easy. You know, one thing I read about this movie it just staggered me. I had to. I tweeted about it. Some somebody actually called this movie elitist. Like elitist. But the hell, You how is this movie elitist? Like, to what end? And again, it just goes back. It's like, and, and then and then there was another article that said the Easter eggs in this movie ruined the movie. I go, that same person would never say anything about the Easter eggs that happen in Marvel movies. Which, admittedly, I'm not good. I would get more Easter eggs in Ready Player One than I'm not well-versed in the Marvel universe. And sometimes I find out about Easter eggs because I read about them. But whatever Easter eggs I find, they don't ruin my enjoyment of the movie. And it's like if you're going to pick on Ready Player One, you should pick on the Marvel movies well before that because they've been doing it a hell of a lot longer. And at least these these Easter eggs, they, they didn't bother me. They, they were fun. They were part of the fun for me even though I didn't catch all $150 million or whatever that was. <laughs>
0: Let me ask you guys that there's, speaking of criticisms, there is this notion that this rewards a certain type of fan culture and saying there's um, one is better than the other. Now, also, right, I'm correct in saying Ernest Klein also wrote Fanboys. So he's 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 in the fan world. And <laughs> Fanboys, that's
2: a fun movie. <laughs> it, it really is. I actually it's really that. enjoy that. That's
0: movie. a that's a very enjoyable movie. <laughs> yes. But a do you, a do you buy that criticism? No. Do you, I mean does it reward a certain type versus no. another?
2: I don't think it rewards. It acknowledges a certain type. I think it acknowledges. It,
1: it, that would be just like saying that the Marvel movies only reward Marvel lovers, like the the, the people who love the comics. When I when they don't. I guess that's they what makes do, the but, Marvel. but they also but, expand. But, but they expand. Yeah. And this movie... Exp- you don't... Ha- it's like you said. You didn't grow up in the 80s. You didn't... You don't have to get every single reference. But the ones that you do, you'll have fun. But just go along with the story and it's still fun.
2: But also the Marvel movies aren't relatable either. People go to the, the comic book movies. Not just Marvel, but DC and all that. People right. go to the DC movies because they watch people... Have superpowers that can do things that the humans can't do, can do in real life. Like that's that's the appeal for those movies and why people always go watch them. This one people can go to, but still like see themselves in one of the five high five people. Like they're sure. they're relatable characters. Yeah, um, outside of the oasis, like as human beings, they're pers- they all had different personalities. They all looked differently, had different ages and genders and stuff, yeah. and that's what made it relatable compared yeah. to any comic movie.
1: And Marissa, if I can, I want to go back to a point that you made very early on, in which you said when we meet the kids in the real world, they're good kids. Yeah. They have a good heart. They were fun. And that, that to me, that too is a staple of like those 80s movies that Spielberg either directed and or produced.
2: Breakfast you, Club, come on. Huge. Well, but br- I'm just
1: look at movies even like Gremlins which he produced right your lead character he's a good kid you know his parents you know he's got the, the quack inventor father but he's a good kid when you look at E.T. all those kids were real kids at the time and, and dealing with uh, our, our main kids were dealing with a divorce um, but he, he, he portrayed them in this realistic kind of way but they were endearing kids the Goonies You go along with their journey because they're good kids. They're trying to, like, help their families out from not being evicted from their homes. So it's not a surprise that the kids here are, like, good kids. They play video games. They're all nerdy, but they have a good heart. They're they're all well-intentioned, and they work together as a whole, I think. And that, too, is something that can be lost. It's always refreshing to me to watch movies today when they feature kids who are smart and bright and have a good heart.
2: And that's why Stranger so, Things is doing so well because sure. the timeline does take place in the 80s and they're all kids who are riding bikes, different personalities, but they all work together fighting the, the good... The Older adults, you Absolutely. know, so and like, they're good kids. I get it, exactly. They're, they're, they're,
1: they're good kids. It's
2: like, people like that, they're, they do because that those universal themes and those elements still work.
1: It does, and and even like you said, John Hughes, when you take a movie like Weird Science or 16 Candles, Breakfast Club is a little different. They're, they're troubled teens, but they're ultimately their hearts are good. But when you look at 16 Candles, they are good kids. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just trying to get along through high school. Same thing with. Uh, there Wayne was also Science, Pretty in right? Pink reference. Pretty in Pink, yeah. So, yeah, there was. And ultimately, that's anything. what it comes down to. A lot of movies in the 80s were focused on teenagers, uh, and they drove the plot along, and they were very popular at the time. This movie really isn't any different from that. That's part of the nostalgia. Look at Matthew Broderick. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off.
2: War games. You know?
1: <laughs> War games. Good kids. You know, if you're going to look at Ferris Bueller's Day Off as a nostalgia reference, too, Ferris Bueller's sort of the one who's sort of kind of a dick. Whereas his his friend Cameron's like, he's a good kid who just has really hard parents. But at the end of the movie, they all learn... Uh, but ultimately, they they make good protagonists. So when I look at Wade, when I look at Wade over here, number one, am I the only person? And I, I mentioned this from the trailer, the kid that plays Wade. I mean, to me, it just seemed very purposeful that he looks like a young Steven Spielberg when he puts on his wire rims or type of glasses. I'm like, that, he looks like a young Steven Spielberg, <laughs> like living this living this world. But he has a good. Heart and he wants to do better, and he's a geek. He's a fanboy.
0: Well, to be fair, I don't think they cast Ty Sheridan just for that simple reason. No,
1: I mean he's he was he, good.
0: He's Cyclops and yeah. New X Men, so you know it's not like he came out of nowhere. Uh, let, let's talk about the music, both from a referential standpoint, but both from uh, how it served the movie standpoint, because there's a lot of. The movie's almost two and a half hours, and most of the music is, you know, very on the nose, old school references. But uh, it got it got you into it. Oh yeah! Uh, we opened I mean- up with Jump by Van Halen, as far as this show was concerned. But but a lot of a lot of m- music to be had there.
1: And they are releasing a well currently on the market is the the score by Alan Silvestri. Which is a very good score uh, as well And it too has its own Easter eggs Throughout uh, But they are also from what I understand Going to release a second um, Album CD whatever you want to call it Something downloadable That will feature the source, the, the, the the Jumps the, the 80's songs um, So that uh, Look for it or However you obtain your music Today uh, that, that should be coming out quite soon but the score I felt was pretty was was pretty damn good. I really enjoyed the score. He couldn't use um, again. He's working two movies. He couldn't use John Williams because he was busy doing the post. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there were very John Williams-esque cues in this. Uh, particularly, uh, John Williams likes to use. Uh, I don't know the instrument name, so please forgive me. But it's, it's sort of like a xylophone-ish kind of
0: thing. But then the Back has, to the Future, the, the, whatever it is, that was so well, I, prominent. That story. was
1: prominent. And a funny story about that is that Alan Silvestri, Spielberg talked about that to him. And Alan Silvestri goes, well, do you want me to do like a modification of it? He goes, no, I want exactly the Back to the Future theme in this because it's so important. So he, he did. And, Godzilla. The theme from Godzilla is in this movie. To me, there are even hints of 1941 in one of the tracks. So throughout the whole thing, he you know he references himself, Alan Silvestri, but he's a very fantastic. He's a fantastic composer, and apparently he's he's done the music on Infinity War. So Disney is up their ante, and maybe maybe there will be a theme, <laughs> a score <laughs> theme to a, to a Marvel movie. Um, But listen, Silvestri has worked with Robert Zemeckis for almost ever since, like, day one. And when you listen to some of the great scores, whether it be Back to the Future or Romancing the Stone. uh, Another great film. Another really fun movie. um, Yeah, I think he was a perfect choice to come in and do this. And it's the first time they actually collaborated together even though Silvestri worked on movies produced by Steven Spielberg, never one that he directed.
2: Yeah, and then they definitely know how each other <clears throat> works in, in that way and the creative collaboration. Also, just the, the diegetic music on screen when we sure. had, you know, uh, uh, Staying Alive. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, I mean, was, that great. was great. I mean, we had, like, Saturday Night Fever and, and all that. The the whole jump, which actually goes with the theme of taking the jump, taking that leap. Yep. Um, and also there was, I, I loved the, the Cameron Crow reference of Say Anything when I mean, they put up the... The boombox, when they all were charging Uh IOI, I was like, yes, brilliant. Um, So, like, even the the diegetic actual notable soundtracks that we know, they they were used very well.
1: Very well. And very smartly, and I didn't feel anything was forced. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like, you know, and it came, you either noticed it or if you didn't. And if you noticed it, you go, oh, my God, I can't believe they put that in there. Like I can't believe Robo I can't believe Jason Voorhees is in this movie. What? Freddy Krueger? What child's play? <laughs> like
2: we even where's had My- Chucky Yeah, it was
1: Michael Myers for Crying Out Loud. <laughs> yeah, it was uh I-, I love that stuff. Yeah. You know, but it but you understood because that was somebody's avatar that they picked.
0: Yeah. You know? It all made sense. Sure. Uh, let's talk about the promotion for this movie. A lot of a lot of promotion behind it. I didn't notice until after I had seen the movie, but as far as advertising the kids, from a story perspective, I realized, oh, wow, they're really spoiling a lot here. Because it reveals, for the first half of the movie, let's say, you're not really supposed to know the rest of the characters and their true identity. Sure. Yet in the advertisement, it reveals exactly who they are. Luckily, I didn't really pay too much attention to that. I got lost in everything else. But uh, so I'm glad because for me it was a fun experience to learn that Artemis was not indeed a 40 pound man, uh, or sorry, a 40 year old overweight man versus H uh, B. being Cook, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, something you know. Uh, I think that was a lot of fun, and I I am a little. I'd be curious to to know for those of you who the poster it did spoil some of those things. How you felt about that? Because I think it it does a disservice, unfortunately.
2: Um, I like I I can understand why you say that. For me, not really a disservice because it it actually helped me because sometimes when when we watch animated movies that are like just strictly animation throughout the whole movie, if you don't know who's who, you're always wondering who the heck right. voices this character, <clears throat> and it does take you out of the film. So I think for me personally, it helps. You. you. Bless you. It okay. helps enhance. Um, the viewing experience. I'm a big fan of Olivia Cook, and yeah. I also you know, I watched all of her movies for years. So, and I know Ben Mendel- Mendelssohn was in it and Annie Spielberg made this film. So like, there was already names attached to it that made me want to go see this film. Not right. for their avatars, but for who they are in the, the film world. Right. That would make me want to put my butt in the seat, you know?
1: Yeah, it didn't, I mean, maybe because of you know, familiarity of knowing that when they cast Olivia Cook, they said that she was going to be playing Artemis. So I was like, oh, okay, perfect. You know, fantastic. That's a great role for her. Um, and it really was. You know, I didn't know that okay. T.J. Miller was going to be playing this I-Rock character. He was, he was fantastic. I got to tell you, I love the... I love the little kid who was—he uh, was the short round of this movie. He was. I mean, I you know, the right? Exact same yeah, right. Yeah, Philip, Philip Zao played show. Show. Kid was hysterical. What, totally Just Because short round. I'm 11 years. old? Yeah, short round. Come on. Totally. And and I don't mean that in a disparaging way. No, I mean short round really, awesome. I really mean that in a, in a in a complete loving kind of way. That kid was great. He was. <laughs> he was hysterical. Um, but all I felt all of the kids too. Um, they, they were just really, I mean, once you got to know them a little better and, and they each had their quirks so you were able to pick them out better like they didn't fade into the background <laughs> um, you know the the, the the kid who played Daito was really awesome too and he had his awesome powers um, yeah I mean I, it didn't bother me knowing that Olivia Cook was going to be Artemis and you're right, sometimes when you're hiring uh Name actors, talent to, to do a voice, and you are watching it. You are going, "Damn it! I know that voice! I know that voice! Who is that?" Like T.J. Miller for a second, I was like, "I know that voice! I know that voice!" We never see T.J. Miller. Yeah, he's in, the only the, right
0: yeah. <clears throat> one we don't actually end up seeing.
1: Right, and um, but then I was like, "Oh, that's T.J. Miller." <laughs> okay, um, but yeah, it, it didn't it didn't bother me as much. It didn't take away from the movie or spoil anything, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. you know for me I, I maybe I just
0: I don't have that experience where if I watch an animated movie honestly I know there's a lot of at this point in time a lot of famous people probably voicing the big characters mm-hmm. but I don't get too caught up in it luckily
1: you maybe. are like well because sometimes an actor can have a a recognizable voice
2: and it
0: takes I mean if it it's Morgan Freeman narrating a movie in animated sure. form yes I, I'm like oh okay that's Morgan Freeman got it right right
2: but when it's like Kevin Hart playing an obnoxious white bunny, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it takes you out of the film.
0: Well, that's because. It.
1: But he was, f- he was funny in uh, Captain Thunderpants. It was a funny animated movie.
2: Was he?
1: It was. It was. We talked about that film. Yeah. All
0: yeah. right. Well, let's let's talk about uh, reception and numbers uh, overall. A minus in terms of Cinema Score. So. Doing fairly well. I think it's going to have a lot of. I think it's going to have some legs. Um, You know, Infinity Wars comes out fairly soon, but but enough time. Enough time in between where there's a couple horror movies between Quiet Place and Truth or Dare coming out. You got. uh, Is it called Block? It's just called Blockers. Blockers. I call it Cock Blockers, what it really should be called, because it is. Um, So you got. You know, I think I think it has sustaining power. Sure, you know, and it was released. It was an interesting
1: time to release, uh, albeit I think to a to an extent, it worked to their favor. It was released on Easter weekend. But what they did was, is they is opened the irony it on a Thursday is there is there irony in that you're searching for Easter, Easter eggs, eggs on I Easter? I think
2: there's coincidence because we know it wasn't originally supposed to be come out right. on Easter. So
1: yeah, and I think when they were picking a date from a marketing standpoint, you can. Tie the two. Tie the two, but what they did was is um, because historically speaking, Easter isn't the best time necessarily to release a movie. It is one of the, you the lose high your holy. Well, yeah, well you, you do. I, I mean, no joke. <laughs> They're yeah. supposed and to stay in I, I, well, I, the whole I, weekend. Absolutely, it's a high ho- holiday, uh, holy holiday for the Catholics, and exactly. you can lose a lot of business on Friday, um, and you can lose a lot of most people. Easter is not typically unlike Thanksgiving or that time period in Christmas people don't go to the movies that their family and their they're 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 chowing down cuz they've just fasted for you know 30 days or you know however long you fasted so 40 40 sorry I was off by 10 <laughs> so it's not typically uh the best time to release a movie however what they did was there are some vacations going on and they actually technically release it on a Thursday so you're able to get well they had the Wednesday night previews you open on Thursday and then you're playing into the whole weekend um you can get a half decent Saturday gross but again a lot of the Catholics Saturday night they're going to drop a little because they're going to church Mm -hmm. um and it's still it's still happened to do fairly well um Depending on how, well, I mean, when you're looking at the four days, it was, I think it was in the, the 50s, when you looked at the four-day gross as opposed to the three-day, um, but currently it's, you know, it's doing okay. I They have to sort of kind of be happy from a global perspective as we talk global numbers. I just wish it had done more. You know, I, I just think that we we are, sadly, in this world where, you know, we, we talk now about Infinity War making two hundred million dollars three weeks prior to its coming out, where Ready Player One three weeks to it prior coming out, people were already saying it was gonna be a dud. They were saying it was gonna do like thirty. It's like it was not even gonna open. It exceeded expectations to it to an extent and it's doing huge overseas. But I don't know. To me this is a movie that should've that I had hoped. I'm not gonna say should've. I had hoped was going to do more en masse. I thought people would go out. But who knows, going into this weekend, weekend now that Easter's over, it's Greek Easter. I'll go to the movies. <laughs> so, you know.
0: Well, see, I I'll think, have
1: lamb, and then I'll go to the movies.
0: I think between word of mouth and repeat viewings, I think given the amount of Easter eggs this movie has, and it is, you know, there's so few, there's certain movies that we talk about that you just have to see on the big screen this if you want a fun experience it deserves to be seen on a big screen oh absolutely
2: and I think this film because they pack so much in it is literally impossible to see everything all at once oh I agree and they purposely made this Filmed so people can go back and pick up the things Absolutely. that they missed. Absolutely, so, yeah. There's just there's too much on the screen, and the, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Yeah, and, and
1: the car that the 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 race. My God, that race! That not only do we see it. What well, was brilliant about it? So we see it one way. We
0: see it another. And way. Then of,
1: and then we saw it. And then we like, yeah, they they sort of kind of do that, like the Chicago. But the lower ground and, and, and he's going backwards and then like when King Kong sees him and he starts I mean, it was just the way that it was realized. Again, special effects wise awesome. should nominate nominated now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I mean we're gonna see a lot of movies with some good special effects, but these were stuff that this is stuff that I've not seen in a movie, you know? I mean Tron did some big things back when it came out this is so expanded within that world and this augmented and virtual reality it, it really was fantastic it, it built upon what James Cameron did with Avatar you know and I didn't you know I, I didn't want my people in the Oasis to look like real people I liked that they had their own character like oh I went with Buckaroo Banzai today. Like, that was great you know, and they didn't have to look real.
2: But yeah, and even like Percival, like you can understand he's human esque form, sure. but he was still cartoony in a way where you you believed he was an avatar. Yeah,
1: same thing with Artemis. Yeah, so yeah, it's
2: fun.
0: Well, as we wrap this up, uh, there could be a potential sequel. Uh, you know, Ernest Klein has said he is writing a sequel to the novel, so whether or not that means. movie as well well you know there's there's conflicting reports i don't have an official thing yet um but i you know to a large extent i it'll be interesting to see what they do with it especially from a villain perspective because they have to they have to kind of change completely what the goal of the sequel would be
2: i would definitely see the sequel because if we got our main high five back Absolutely, because they all lived in this movie. Yeah.
1: I mean, I would read the book. I'll I'll read the book. Um, If we don't get a sequel to Ready Player One, it is self-contained. It's a beginning, middle, end. And that that works, too. Uh, It would be hard to find a director, maybe outside of a J.J. Abrams-ish person who really um, idolizes Spielberg in a good way. I mean, Super 8, is an homage to Spielberg movies of the 80s. Um, but, I, you know, and I just don't know who you find to, to, to give the you know the keys to the the DeLorean to at this point.
0: Well, so. I think, uh, I mean, who knows? The, the, the early kind of people that they were looking at were Robert Zemeckis, Matthew Vaughn, Peter Jackson, Edgar Wright. So you could go try that well again. Or, I mean, to me, once you've established the things... No different than Marvel. Find some up and coming directors and just say, "Hey, here's the script. Go, you know, go make that movie."
1: Yeah, you, you absolutely. The one thing, though, and this is a difference between the '80s and, and today. Those people who are directing the Marvel movies—they're very talented casting crew. Um, I'm not disparaging, but what else are they doing? Those directors. I mean, they're so locked into these franchises, right? They're so locked in to do this. Back in the day, Spielberg could do A Color Purple or An Empire of the Sun. Or he'll go back to doing another Raiders Versa of the County. Lost. Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, an Indiana Jones movie. He can go on to other projects. They're not locked into doing the one thing for 20 years. Um, and that's a that's a major difference. And that's what makes spielberg who he is today much like it makes martin scorsese um francis ford coppola directing musicals as well so all of these directors were had a versatility that they could take risks on some of yeah. them didn't work many of them did well
0: i mean at the end of the day it's a very high class problem to be had if <laughs> oh, you're locked in to, oh boohoo me i'm locked into marvel
1: no, no I, I I get it, but from an artistic standpoint,
2: well, yeah, I get it that like St- Spielberg can go into different genres and create completely different films, and they're they're successful compared to certain directors in the Marvel or DC cinematic universe that they're only stuck with the sci-fi generation, in, yeah. in the sci-fi genre.
0: Yeah, but I think you know, I mean, to that same point here, it, you just kind of you, you find your own way around it. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but a guy who did Black Panther. I apologize. Cougar, Cougar yeah. right? I mean, he's done various things, and, sure. and I'm sure he'll do another Marvel-type movie or a sure. big franchise movie again, but I also don't think that he'll only do those types of movies. So I think part of it is it falls on the directors themselves to to go beyond.
1: Right. I mean, thus far as Star Wars has, has at least... I mean, J.J. J. Abrams had... Had a name for himself, Ryan Johnson had directed other movies prior to uh, Last Jedi. Uh, Gareth Edwards, who had directed Godzilla in that movie Monsters, prior to Rogue One, Um, he's done some different things. um,
2: Trevorrow who did Colin
1: Trevorrow yeah, Yeah. Jurassic World. Jurassic World, you know, he did his uh, Safety Not Guaranteed, but then the movie that he came out with last summer, not so much. But you know. It it, it does, I guess, depend on the director, but with Marvel, it really seems that they lock him down. I mean, Han Solo is being directed, well, co directed by Ron Howard. They brought him in. He's a, you know, the guy's directed a few movies too.
2: But what I'm saying is, you know, Oscar winning movies.
0: I mean, part of it, (laughs) it, it's twofold, right? In the sense that you you want these guys to expand, but at the same time, we. Spielberg, Spielberg for a reason, you know what I mean? It's like saying, like, all these people that are directing these movies are on the same level as a Spielberg, and, you know, there's so few and far between that can rise to that sort of level. That's why Spielberg is Spielberg, right. you know, and, and so forth. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. So... so
1: well, I just wanted to go back to numbers because currently, though, that this movie's at $238 million, which that's no small feat. I mean, it cost one million production-wise. And from what I understand, they spent globally, globally now, they spent about 150 for the marketing um, and such. So they have a ways to go. But at, at the end of the day, I think that the foreign, again, 71.3% of this global gross comes from the foreign territories.
0: And in particular, China, it received a score of 9.2 from audiences compared to an average of 6 to 7 between most Hollywood movies. So... That says a lot. Yeah. I think so. All right. Uh, Well, we could certainly talk ad nauseum about all the Easter eggs and about all the other stuff, but unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. Nonetheless, though, the conversation can continue for weeks and years beyond in the comments section. So by all means, let us know what your thoughts and feelings towards this movie are. What are some of the fun aspects? What are the Easter eggs? Whatever you want to talk about, and did you find it to be elitist? <laughs> that, that was the funniest comment. Did you find it to be elitist? Yeah. Uh, I could see why that could. I could see why that comment would be made. Interesting. As All well right, we'll saying. talk
1: after the show and then comment on the thing if you found it to be elitist.
0: Educated uh, me. <laughs> that's right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, If you like what we've done here, we do this with plenty of other movies, whether Spielberg movies, the most recent one, besides this being The Post, but we've certainly dived into other movies of his. Uh, Speaking of Ty Sheridan, we've done X-Men before. I'm pretty sure we've done Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl for Olivia Cook. Oh, yeah. So, you know, basically what I'm saying is if you like references and you like movies, we have a whole library for you to dig through. So you can learn, you, if you want to learn about a Holiday, well, it's almost like the same thing. You can just watch all of us and you're getting all these references and so forth. So definitely check that out. I do encourage you guys. And we're going to continue doing this. Uh, we've got some fun movies next week. Uh, the Quiet Place will do. Which I did see. Uh, so lots of good stuff. Speaking of Avengers, we will we'll be doing that and so on until Infinity and Beyond. In the meantime, <laughs> Infinity can, Wars and Beyond. You can certainly uh, interact with us at Serafini TV for Marissa. That's right. And Dimitri d movie 1701. At D-movies, 1701. See, there's an Easter egg in that right there. That's right. It is not the year Dimitri was born. <laughs> no. Um,
1: <laughs> much to popular rumor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I'm at Phil Svitek. Started by you. <laughs> Thank you guys as always. Much, much, much love. And uh, if nothing else, share the wealth, spread the word that we are here doing this, especially if you've had fun with what we do. Why wouldn't you spread it to your friends? Anyway, we'll see you next week for The Quiet Place and moving on. Blockers. Bye. Christos <laughs> Maria
1: Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network.